Welcome everyone to another episode of the Veterans and Ag Podcast, brought to you by AGD Consulting. I'm your host, Mike DeSop, and here we explore the stories and insights from the military veteran and supporter communities who are leading the way for vets in agribusiness, ag tech, and agripreneurship. We swap stories, talk ag, and show how the grassroots nature of the ag community can be a natural fit for the military veteran. This is the third episode in our multi-part series sponsored by Farmer Veteran Coalition, a national nonprofit organization mobilizing veterans to feed America and transition from military service to careers in agriculture. This series explores unique partnerships between FEC and several organizations offering programs and support for military veterans in agriculture. Our guest this week and for this episode is Melissa Burgess, an assistant manager with a company called Analytic Acquisitions. Melissa is working with a small business vendor contracted by the USDA to implement the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program. Melissa is based in Katy, Texas, and she's working throughout our great state, uh, conducting outreach and technical assistance for farmers and ranchers who are in the process of applying for this particular program. So if you're interested in applying or you've already started to apply, but maybe you're stuck at certain parts of the application, uh, have a listen to this episode. Melissa does a great job of condensing uh, this somewhat difficult application into digestible parts with practical ways to navigate each step. Enjoy. And I currently work with Analytic Acquisitions, which is a subcontracted company hired by the USDA to help with the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program, or I say DFAP. Um, started out um, as... Well, who I am in a nutshell is a nurturer and caregiver. So I started out as a preschool teacher. Um, was that for through junior high, high school, and uh, several years later. Um, then became a medical assistant. Um, did that again for, I don't know, they kind of inter intermingled there for a few years. Um, and then uh, became a massage therapist, just trying to find ways to help people in, in other ways. And then COVID hit and... Um, other circumstances, and I moved to Texas, and it's beautiful out here, and I'm loving it. Um, so I've actually been out here in Texas for about three, three and a half years now, and um, it's kind of one of those new chapters of life, and uh, this position became available, and it was another way that I could help people. Um, so who I am in a nutshell is the uh, helper, nurturer, caregiver. How did you find out about the position that was open with um, analytic acquisition and what specifically does the broader company do? I know you focus on this program, but yes. generally what, what does that company do? So I found, um, I found them, they found me pretty much through Indeed. Um, okay. just looking for, um, another position that paid a little bit better than what I was getting at the time. Um, I'm going to go ahead and look at some information here for analytic acquisitions. Um, it is a, wo a woman owned business. Um, and it's also a small disadvantaged business um, company. So they try to help um, in those areas. Um, clients based is including federal government and commercial clients. Um, like I mentioned, we are contracted with the USDA for the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program to provide application outreach, technical assistance, and related application facilitation. So focused on uh, West um, outreach west of the Mississippi, there is another group, it's called the Windsor Group, and they are taking care of clients east of the Mississippi. So that's kind of where um, the, the dividing line is. 
And if you actually go onto the um, DFAP, the Discrimination Financial Assistance Program website, the 22007 apply, um, looking for um, someone near you, it will describe analytic acquisitions as well as the Windsor Group and where um, and what states they cover. Okay. So Mississippi is the dividing line. There's something sort of unique, I think, about this particular program as it pertains to the USDA using independent contractors and third-party organizations to do certain parts of this program. Are you familiar and can you talk about what those particular parts are and why the USDA? Yeah, has- I can't, from my perspective, I and I do, I we are independent contractors. And so um, the, one of the things that I do mention when I'm doing a, a conversation with people in public is I let them know that I am not the government. I am not an, a government employee. I'm an independent person just trying to help you. And this is a program that I'm aware of that needs your assistance or potentially could assist you. And so um, it is definitely a independent um, third-party contracted company to help specifically those who have been discriminated against. And I think uh, part of the reason is um, from what my experience is working with them and helping applicants with their applications um, is the fact that the people that they've gone to for the help in the first place, they're the ones that have been doing um, the discrimination and multiple generation. I've had, um, there's, there's one person in the in the office that they would go to and it's they've discriminated their parents um, their grandparents and themselves they've just it's the same person because of small communities so if you're getting somebody outside of that aspect they're not um the same person that's going to be discriminating against them yeah it, it's always the when i first learned about this program through monica and then through steven um the more i've sort of uh, come to appreciate the fact that the USDA is the sort of arbitrator of the the program and its criteria, uh, but they're not the ones that are going to make the final determinations as to um, right. kind of who gets selected. Uh, it's these independent contractors who are not sort of tied to the funds themselves uh, who are going to sort of be evaluating those applications. So that's always been, I think, a net positive from my perspective as to why and how this program is structured the way it is. Right, and then we we even have an additional third party. Um, so the, when, when, application, when applicants fill out applications, they can do it two ways. They can do it online or by paper and mail it in. So when those paper applications get mailed to us, we still have to translate and transpose those into the online portion um, okay. portal. portal. Okay. We have, after we enter their information, we have one or two people within our own company double checking that work, making sure that everything that is entered is the way the applicant filled out the paperwork. And then we have a third independent third party additionally checking our work to make sure that it is um, everything is lined up the way the applicant wants it. There's no additional information. There's no um, discrepancies in there whatsoever before it goes into the application approval process. Right. Just to make sure that we're, we're checking all the boxes in a sense, making sure that there isn't any additional, um, you know, discrimination on, on those factors as well. When you talked earlier about um, the support your company offers around technical assistance and application processing, can you give us some sense of what that means practically? Like Absolutely. So um, like I mentioned, we, we do paper application or online. 
Um, so what we, we do, we have multiple states um, that have an, an office. Um, I'm one of two offices for the state of Texas. So um, Texas is such a large area, um, but there, but we can help facilitate that in multiple ways. We can do it virtually, um, helping somebody um, over the phone or on the computer, giving them the guidance to the website directly, <clears throat> making appointments, having them come in. Um, if they have a paper application or if they wanna do it online, um, we'll facilitate that whatever works best for the individual client. So I've had some people who um, have filled out a paper application and kind of did their homework at home, brought that information in, and they still needed some help because it was confusing, um, which I kind of love because then I can make this 40-page application, make it even easier. Um, it's really, there's 10 steps, but when you, we break it down even further, it, it's it's really seven steps that need to be um, information gathered. And the first step is your personal information, name, address, phone number, those kind of things. So it makes it a little bit easier. Um, when they bring in that information and they have a paper application, this is the benefit that I see with doing paper versus an online application. Um, the online application, if it does, if it does not, um, if it doesn't meet your needs, if, if you're not applicable for that particular question and you answer no, it skips all of the other questions and moves on to the next one. So sometimes it'll move um, a whole section of the application um, because it doesn't pertain to you. It's something that you mm. don't need to fill out. So it makes it a little bit easier when you're doing it online. Um, the benefit of the paper application, which I like to do is, is I'll sit down with somebody and we'll go page by page and I bring out my little sticky notes and I'm like, okay, we're going to make little sticky notes here. There's, there's different um, criteria that you have to meet um, for this application. Um, there's items that you need to provide and then there's items that are helpful. So we call it our must and our may. You must provide two forms of ID, social security card. Um, if you're in a uh, native uh, in Native Indian or Alaskan, uh, you need to um, provide your tribal card. Those are musts. Then there's other documents that are may, which the more information that you can bring, um, the better that it can help. So we'll, we'll go page by page and I'll make little sticky notes for them because um, sometimes there's times where I've had applicants, I don't understand, I don't even know what I'm starting with, help me out. It's like, okay, well, let's start out with this paper application. I'll make little notes of what you need to do. They'll go home, gather that information, and then they can mail it into us. They can bring it back to our office, whatever's easier for them, that we don't have to make a second trip. And then we can scan that information in. So the supporting documents um, are what they typically need to get. Sometimes if they own the property, need to uh, show um, a deed or a tax um, document. Um, there's, there's a lot of applicants who never got the chance to truly apply. Um, because of the discrimination itself, they weren't even given the chance to fill out an application. And so that kind of fits a whole second um, category. Um, if you would have what, you know, is the questions. And then it's kind of providing what information, um, farm experience, farm education. Um, did you have a business plan? And so by talking about that, we're like, well, yeah, but that was 20 years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. You can type one up. You, if, you, if you've lost it, you still have an idea of what that business plan was, what your farm or education was. Um, so do a Word document and I kind of work, talk them through it a little bit. And then a lot of times they'll go home and do a, a Word document and explaining their, their education or their experience farming. Um, and then they can send that into us and we add it to the application that we, we did online. So um, facilitating the assistance is individual clients needs um we've done library events where we can do a larger group and i kind of do mm. like a 
in a sense, a classroom. Okay, everybody turn to page one. Okay, we're going to answer these questions. Don't go on too fast. And, you know, so we can do a whole group of people at one time. And then we have another person walking around the room. Um, that way, if anybody has a question that they, I didn't understand this, it's like, okay, they'll help that individual question getting through and um, making making sure that everybody feels that they were heard. Um, they had the time and opportunity to, to get the questions answered that they needed specifically. So we have a lot of different ways we try to help. Are there are there particular parts of the application where you see people struggle the most? So there's it's a 10-step application, and sometimes that in and of itself can be very overwhelming. So I like to break it down, um, you know, from a 40-page overwhelming application that doesn't make a lot of sense or it just feels overwhelming for somebody. Let's break it down to 10 steps. And then I break it down a little further. It's only really seven that you need to bring information to. Step one is about you. What is your name, address, phone number, social security card? Is there anybody um, that you want to have access to this application? A spouse, a brother, you know, whatever that might be. And then uh, the third question in step one is, was there anybody assisting you fill out this application? Um, sometimes it could be a language or it could be um, a, a level of education. Um, we do have some applicants who have no internet, um, don't have computers, don't have the maybe the education level because generationally they had to stop going to school um, because they needed to farm. So if there's some of those words and questions that are difficult, that's what we want to help with. But step one is there is anybody helping you. Step two is um, a, the type of applicant. Um, is it just yourself? Um, were you a co-borrower? Did you own part of the property together? Um, or was this a business? If this is a business, um, there's little criteria that are different there because this application is for an individual. Step three is the um, eligibility of the program for farming and ranching. Um, if you've ever farmed and ranched before, um, and then if you did, you fill out those questions. If you haven't, you go to the next one, kind of skips it, makes it a little easier. Melissa, can I, the eligibility. I'm sorry. Can I, can I pause you real quick at step three? Yes. If, if there's, if the answer comes back with, no, we, we haven't done any farming before, you'd skip that step and you'd move on. In, from your understanding of the selection process, does not having prior farming experience positively or negatively impact uh, an applicant's likelihood of success, so to speak? Well, some of it could have been the fact that um, had they, okay, so some people have grew up on a farm and they've been farming and ranching their whole life right. and now they want to move on to their own property. Right. Some people are trying to do, they're trying to step on their own, their own um basically step out on their own and they were going to, they needed a little bit of money to start up and then they, they had a business plan of what they wanted to do. So I don't think that it really is going to make a difference. It's just um, step three basically is a, a question A or question B. So okay. if you've farmed and ranch before, you're going to fill out this information. If you haven't, but you were going to, you're going to fill out section B. And, and so that's basically, um, let me hold on one second. to pull my application so I'm not speaking out of turn here. So um, so for step three, question B is the applicant who never farmed but would have operated a farm or ranch if they had received the loan through the okay. USDA farm loan. So okay. that goes and kind of answers that question. And then it has specific questions um, for that person who they never farmed because they didn't get the funding that they needed to get things started. Um, so then that's where your business plan Basically proving to them 
at that time you were capable, you would have been able to be productive. You had a lot of experience, education, you had a business plan, you would have taken that money and you would have done X, Y, and Z with it. And kind of detailing and explaining what that would have looked like um, kind of explains that at that time, you would have been able to be successful versus, you know, the city slicker who comes in is like, right. oh yeah, I'm going to be a farmer, you know, and, and that. So, I mean, in, in, in that instance where there's no prior farming history, mm-hmm. but had the applicant been, been able to receive those funds, they would have been able to execute on the basis of some business plan that they, they right. created, right? Sometimes the time gap between when they're filling out this application and when they would have started farming, had they been the recipients of some financial assistance in the past, sometimes that gap I can imagine is many, many years, if not sometimes decades. Correct. So, so how are how are you helping the applicants sort of reconcile? Gosh, twenty years ago, I had this plan. I I can't find it anymore, or it got saved over, or you know whatever the case may be. Is it? What's the solution there? Like a retroactive creation of a plan or? Exactly. And that's where um, this is a supporting document that is a may. It's a may. not a, it's a, okay. it's a may, which means it's helpful information, but it's not going to make or break the application. You need to have a driver's license or two forms of ID. You yeah. have to have certain criteria. Okay. This is a may document where um, it would be helpful. It's going to support your personal um, statement. This is this is my business okay. plan. And if you're like, well, it's been 20 years. Can you do you have an idea of what it was? Talk to me. And as I start asking them some questions and kind of reminding them, then they're like, oh well, yeah, I would have. And then they kind of give okay. me their story and explain it, and we kind of jot it down. And then um, if they want to handwrite it or type it in, um, I do recommend that if somebody is handwriting it, that they um, you know make sure that they have their penmanship is is legible um, because we have to we have to be able to read that and, and get right. that taken care of. So, right. um, and, but that's okay because we have, um, we have computers in our office that are designated for our applicants. Um, so they may not have their own laptop. They may not have their own access to it. They may not have internet. We've had, we've had a couple of groups that we've gone to that they have no internet access in, in the rural area that they're at. So yeah. we want to bring that um, access to them. So let's say then that the, at step three, a person checks, yes, I do have farming experience. What kinds of things might or may they be required to submit at that point that will help support their application? Certainly. So the must documents in that category would be a deed. A deed. Um, because okay. they, if they own the property, they would need to have a deed or property tax records. Um, if they leased it, a land survey, a deed property tax okay. as well would be helpful. Okay. Um, but a land survey, um, any marketing of that business materials, including the name, um, the operation, at, and the address at the time. And so if it's been many decades, can people access those tax records through their county office? I mean, how would you advise that they go about extracting those records from the historical context? Um, depending on where they did their taxes, um, if they local um, tax person that did their taxes for them, or okay. if, um, but but depending on what those records are that you're needing, um, like I said, there's there's multiple options um, for some of those records. So if you if you own the property still, you'd still have the deed. 
yeah. um, you okay. will have some property tax um, information just to support the fact of um, this was the land then. And, um, you know, even if you were to have a, an affidavit, maybe your tax person or somebody who's not related to you can, can write up an affidavit saying, yes, this is the incidence is what happened. Um, and, you know, you can get that notarized and, and have that sent in with your application, give you a little bit more supporting documents. Okay. So it seems more rather than exhaustive, intricate details, this sort of step seems more like, can you prove that this was actually yours or was actually in your family or you actually owned and operated? Can you just prove that metric? And then right. to the level of detail that you can support that through taxes and transaction history, great. But we just exactly. need to be able to connect you to that piece Correct. of property in some way. Right. Correct. Exactly. And okay. I mean, if it was, um, if it was a land that was a generational, um, because one of the applicate, one of the criteria is if you um, took on the farm or ranch from your parents or grandparents, and you took on their debt, meaning they still owed money for one thing or another, you took on that debt, then that's where you're eligible for this program as well. Even though the, the experience may have happened to your parents or grandparents, the debt continues, is going down generational, then that is where um, the new applicant can apply. Okay, so there, that's an interesting perspective because now instead of being in the pursuit of this, right, this could have fallen into your lap as an obligation or correct exactly a liability if it's a liability if you're taking on the debt then yes if it was an inheritance and you just you got the land and you now you want to get some extra money that's, that's different that's, that's different yes that's interesting so what's step four now so step four is the eligibility of the program and this is um um what type of a usda farm loan were you looking for okay. um tempted participating during the period of the discrimination um, if you're assuming debt, this is where the assuming assigned debt as well. Um, what type of USDA farm loan program covered the debt during that period? Um, so it's just the eligibility portion of it. So um, some of that is very black and white. E either you did one of these applications or you didn't. If, it, if it's not in this category, then this particular program isn't the right one for you. If it is, then that's where we want to continue and move on. So we would have some of that information ahead of time. There is... Um, on the website, the eligibility um, 22007 apply, the very front page, one of the little tabs, it says the eligibility and you read that down and it's going to pinpoint um, before you even get started on your application, it'll let you know if you if you apply, if you're eligible or not. Because we don't want you to get started if, if this isn't the right application for you. And that eligibility list describes, describes certain uh, programs it, it, describes. it describes the requirements um i actually print this out and i keep this on my wall i'll show you a little um okay but it's on the website directly okay so it goes down what requirements your eligibility um are are on there um and so it's just it, there, there's a lot to read so it's just kind of it's sure. a really good idea to go to the website and look at them specifically as to what the eligibility requirements are um you'll be able to tell if it's the program is for you but but broadly speaking, do any of those eligibility requirements dictate that your discrimination had to be tied to a particular financial program? With the USDA. If it, you were it, trying to get a USDA funded 
government program for a farm ownership loan, farm operating loan, the micro loans. Okay, that's 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 what I'm looking for right there. Yeah. There are these sort of sub financial programs within the US. You see this well There's enough. Like yeah, I got you. That's that bulleted list that I was looking yeah, for. Yeah, that's okay. just a bulleted list. Okay. So, um, but it's 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 a USDA lending program quali um, quality. I'm sorry, qualifying uh, the ability to apply for, and then it just has a list of okay. farm ownership loan, um, farm operating loan, the micro loan, youth loans. There's farm storage facility loans, emergency loans, economic. There's yeah, the, yeah. it has those type of the most common one is the farm ownership loan or the farm operating loan from right. what i've seen that makes those sense. are the most common ones there's another one grazing loan i think is one yeah. that i've seen yep um, those are just the most common ones that i've seen come in um and then as far as the eligibility um to be eligible for the to participate in a program you must be or have been a farmer or would be farmer right um uh, to be or have been participating or would be participant in farm lending, um, have experienced discrimination by the USDA in USDA farm lending, or be a debtor with assigned or assumed USDA farm lending debt that was the subject of a USDA discrimination. Yep. Uh -huh. Okay. So there, there's very specific um, things on there, um, you... and then it goes into the type of discrimination. Do you see applicants struggle with knowing which of those programs the discrimination occurred within a micro loan or a grazing loan or an operating loan or? No, my, they're the ones that have come in that I've spoken with are very clear. They know that they went to the USDA, the FSA office. They were trying to get this loan and this okay. is what happened. Okay. They're, they're, <laughs> there hasn't been, a, well, I don't know if I was or not. Well, if you don't know if you were or not, right. Then, you know what I mean? But no, I haven't. I have personally experienced that one. Everyone okay. that I've spoken with knew exactly. They could, I mean, it happened to them. There's the detail, the experience. The only thing that they're a little off on is like what month and day of, did it happen? It was it within this year. That's, that's good enough, you know? Okay. So. Okay. I, Cause I did have a question about how much, yes, the detail would need to be there around the discrimination itself, but how, you know, how accurate do we need to be in terms of the day, month, and year did it need to occur? It sounds like if we yeah. can get it in the year. If we can get it in the year, that's that's helpful. It doesn't have to be, okay, well, it was on January 3rd. Right. It, right. It's, you know, some of them have, like, well, I think it was in June of 2020. Okay, that's the good idea. It was in, it was in the summer of 1990. It's a ballpark. It's an okay. estimation because they do have that information somewhere. They do have that loan even if you can't go to the fsa office and get those documents anymore some things are only held for that seven ten year type period so mm -hmm. they do they somehow can get i mean it's difficult for my applicants to get those records sometimes because they have disappeared but yeah i was gonna say um either they have a copy as individuals of the loan itself but then if they don't, right, how do they go about extracting it? I imagine there's some statute of limitation on how long the FSA holds those. What I've experienced is a lot of my applicants, they have gone to that office. That was the office that discriminated against them. There's no records. They didn't actually get the application to start the application process from the beginning. So there wouldn't be any documents because they were discriminated against before they could even get the application to apply. Okay. Okay. So that leads me to another question, which is in your experience, when 
applicants for this program are describing past discrimination, is there a theme in which that manner, is there, does it commonly occur in certain forms, right? Do they go into the office in person and the conversation itself between the loan officer and the applicant is where the discrimination occurs? Is it over the phone? Is there generally written record of so, that discrimination? Yeah, absolutely. The, the ones that I have um, the most, it's there's been ones over the phone. But the majority of the ones that I've, I've helped with, they went to the office. As soon as they were seen, they were told to go sit over there. Or they've had some people where it's like, from the get-go, we don't have any applications for you. Well, I, I just want to get the applications. We don't have anything for you. And then somebody else will walk in and here you go. So it, it's, a, it's a very cut and dry for some of my applicants that I've helped with. Um, they believe that it was the color of their skin when they walked in the door. Um, we don't have anything for you, Got unfortunately. It. So sometimes it's the the receptionist or the person at the front desk, whoever that may have been. Um, some of these have been really small county type locations. And it's that, like I was saying, that same person that's been at this desk for 20 or 30 years. So that's affecting grandpa and mom and dad and now me or you know, it was my parents and myself. And so we've seen the same discrimination because it's the same person. Um, so unfortunately, if there's the same person in that seat, then the discrimination hasn't changed because they are the person that's, that's the wall. They can't get any farther. They can't yeah. get any additional assistance from that point. So they haven't even had the opportunity to apply and see if they would qualify. They are <laughs> discriminated from um, walking in the door. Is... So there'd be no, there certainly would be no application on file because it never right. occurred. Um, I had a question. I lost it. I'll think of it again. That's okay. Um, eligibility is five or four. Um, eligibility is four. Okay, um, five. So five is the discrimination itself. Um, and they want to know what type of discrimination you have. And again, that uh, it has a whole list. Um, was it race, gender, um, ethnicity, uh, religion? Was it your age? What, you know, it has a whole list of what those are. And that's just the question of what type of discrimination did you feel? And then um, give me details of, of what that happened. And there's several different questions in that um, step five, the kind of re maybe uh, trigger questions or thoughts of the incidents, but I like to just, um, this is when I'm helping an applicant, give me a brief description. And then I want you to, to write something up that has a step-by-step, -step, very detailed. Well, on, you know, in the summer of whatever year, I walked into the office and spoke with the receptionist and she wouldn't give me the time of day and made me sit over here, whatever their story is, and just kind of pinpointing what um, the full discrimination was. Was that only one instance of discrimination or has there been multiple if there's been multiple we can list um we can list them so when there's been multiple what i what i prefer to do is the same thing it's going to be the same questions um and this is again when you have a paper application versus an online application when you have a paper application you only have the one page um with an online application you say how many instances of discrimination you've experienced and then it's going to ask you the same questions repeatedly for each separate instance. Okay, for the first one, that was in 1970. And then you give the details, answer those questions. And then the next one was 1974. 
1980, whatever those different experiences of discrimination were, um, the computer will give you up to 10. So that's where um, writing it down or typing it up and just kind of give it like a, a bullet, answering all those questions in a bullet um, statement or paragraph, that's instant one, instant two. And then you describe that one, answering all the questions that the application itself is asking. Um, that's where you can explain those different things and, and multiple um, people I've yeah. had I've had multiple scenarios and sometimes it's the if it's the same situation and you're discriminated multiple times because you you called to check up on it or you went back into the office to check on it it's it's really the same instance the same time frame it's just multiple things are happening versus in 1970 this happened in 1974 this happened completely separate um, type of scenarios so that's where step five is going to ask you those specific questions um, just to and I know some of some of the questions throughout the application can feel repetitive. It's because they're giving you a ballpark picture of this situation. Now let's break it down into smaller um, bite sides and get more detail. So they're looking for a little bit of that detail in that way. Do most applicants remember names? Do they remember which FSA office at this street address? Um, yeah, actually, the, the, the location they have, they always knew that it was the FSA office or the USD office in whatever city county. Okay, I haven't had any issues with that one. The name of the person, surprisingly, I have a lot of them who remember it was Mr. So-and-so. Or um, they, they, if they don't remember the name, they know their position. That was the manager. That was the receptionist. That was the so okay. and if you, it doesn't have to have the exact specific person's name, but if you have their title, that's helpful um, just to kind of break down who it was. Got it. Yeah, I was going to ask if that was certainly that's that sounds like a may not a must here. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's there's really not that many musts. The must is um, supplying who you are, your identity, having at least two forms of identity, your social security card. Um, your tribal card, if you are Native American yeah. um, or Indian, um, Native Alaskan, excuse me. Um, those are musts. Um, and then it's dependent on the questions throughout right. the, the thing. So there's a lot of may, which is just going to be more helpful supportive documents for yourself. Right. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. Step five is the discrimination itself. What exactly happened? I'm kind of getting that. This is the one of those first questions that you asked me is where where people are struggling with is going to be here in step six. This okay. is one that I see unfortunately blank, and this is about your losses. Hmm. What losses did you have? What's That's like? A hard well, one. it it is a hard one, but some people don't realize how valid and important it is. Um. Well, I didn't get the loan, so I didn't have any losses. But you did because if you had that loan, you had a business plan. We're thinking that you are, you have an education, you have farm experience, you're ready to go forward, you have a business plan. If you had gotten this money, you would have, depending on your scenario, um, bought more livestock, got more feed, um, bought more equipment, those kind of things to help. And we all know that by running a farm, you you have your livestock, which then at some point you take to auction, um, you get money for those, and you have another generation of livestock that's being produced for the next year. With your grain, you you need to you grow the grow the land and you have to harvest it. Um, if those things shrink, if you didn't get that loan, you may not have been able to get that equipment that you needed. You may not have been able to get as much seed, um, uh, vegetables that you were planning on planting. You may have had to sell off part of your herd, sell off part of your land. 
those are all losses. The, the size of your farm experience just got downsized. So that's a loss. Got it. So depending on if you own that property or you were going to, and you were in the process of purchasing items, you still had a loss because those things are a yearly renewal of your income. I had a lot of people, unfortunately, that uh, had to sell these things just to provide for the family to survive on. So the, the in that case, the sale of the, let's say it's the, it's the instance where the mother, the 80-year-old mother passes it on to her two sons. Those two sons apply for a loan and don't get it based on discrimination. They're forced to sell that generational farm in order to meet everyday needs. Mm-hmm. The sale price of that farm would be listed as a loss. How would you? How would you get? Would would you categorize um, that in that instance? Some of that is yes and no. It depends if, um, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, part of it would be. Uh, and it, did they even get the value that they should have gotten? Did they have to sell it for less than the actual value? That's the one that I have noticed. Um, so there was somebody that I was dealing with the other, the other week and she had a home, um, and she had to sell it for, it was, it was a small little, a bit of property, um, but she sold it for less than, less than half equity that would, would have had. I mean, it was, it was almost 60% of a, of a cut, the, the value of it. She just, she's like, <clears throat> I need money. So she, she took 30,000 instead of the 80,000, for example, mm. of what she needed. Um, because that's all she could get. So that there's $50,000 of a loss there, the value okay. of the house. They just, they weren't able to get it because they weren't able to do whatever it is that they needed to do to get to that level. They would have right. been sustaining. And um, so I think that's kind of how that goes in there. Um, but the application will ask you those specific questions. Some of those answers as, as who determines those answers are kind of not me. They're, they're going to be somebody else who's determining is that loss of that property from that parent to those two sons where does that fit into the the broad spectrum of things that's going to be somebody else making that determination so that wouldn't be me right but you but they would you would advise that they list that here i would advise that they list it absolutely because there's going to be again it's more information because if you put nothing then there's nothing Mm -hmm. to support that you lost anything but it's like well yeah i lost we lost our farm. We lost our land. We we had to sell half the herd, and that meant the next year we only had half of what we would have had for for auction to live off. So it just it can, it's a continual preparation of each year. You're having less and less amount. It would seem to me that it's important that people understand that when that application is talking about offset, it's talking about a difference, probably a reduction in what you would have been able to yield or achieve from that piece of property based on its past performance. And then what you had to achieve or what you actually achieved based off of a lack of funds due to discrimination and additional financial assistance. Exactly. Okay. All right. That's super key. And I think, I think it may also be important for people to know that if that happened in 1970, corn prices or soybean prices in 1970 at 1970 US dollar values, those mm-hmm. numbers are available, right? You can go back and you can extract that and figure it out, at least to have some ballpark of Starting what that offset exactly. was. <clears throat> so, I mean, <clears throat> I, that's a hard question I can absolutely imagine. And so it's, 
you know, you wouldn't want people to get scared away by that because it was five decades ago. Right. Man, that that data is available. You just got to sort of dig for it a little, but it can at least give you some some baseline there. It is, and it, it's it's and most of the questions are asking an estimate. Yeah. It doesn't have to be an exact dollar amount and right. get your calculator out mm -hmm. and, and right. you know have high education level to to do the math and algebra right. or whatever that is. It's an estimate. It, okay, it was about fifty thousand dollars. I I lost about five hundred thousand dollars. It's a it's a it's that is what yeah. it's kind of meant. that's an important clarification too, I think, is that we're not looking for cents, you know, point right. zero no. one, you know, on here. And we're if, looking for Ball and parks. if your tax records that you're supporting um, and, you know, doing the math and you, you're adding it up, it doesn't, there's going to be other losses in there. You can't. So yes, it's a, it's an estimate on there. That's a good um, point too. Mm -mm. That Yeah. Because I mean, there's some things that you can prove very easily. Your taxes, you can prove what some, there's some other things that you can't uh, um, necessarily justify your, your wage. Um, you're yeah. not getting the income because you're self producing farmer and as long as you got to eat that month that was producing you know what i mean it, it's in that respect there's there's all kinds of things in there but but i think step six is one of those ones that um gets skipped over a little bit more than it should um yeah. and i just feel bad when i get some of these applications that are just blank and i'm like really we let me just explain that yes you you have information there that you don't realize that you have yeah so that's it right there. You've got information there that you don't realize you have. Yeah, and exactly. even if it's a, even if it's a swag, right. Put, let's put it down and you yeah, can help exactly. the kinds of things that you would help do is help get them to that place where they can figure out what that number is. Precisely answering those questions and um, kind of asking some questions to kind of help the mind remember it tr tr triggers that information. Absolutely. So, All right. Step seven. Yeah. Step seven, um, prior claims, complaints, and appeals. Was there any lawsuits that you were involved with? So there's the Pickford one. There's the um, Black Farmers Discrimination Legislation, which is Pickford two. Um, there's the Keeps Eagle, which I pr is primarily for Native American. Um, and then there is Hispanic and Woman Farmers, uh, which is the Love and Garcia. So if you know about these um, lawsuits, it's it's one thing. If you were involved with one of these lawsuits, if you were um, a participant in these things, you just need to mark in here and claim um, that you did receive money from those. Okay. Um, if okay. it is one that you, I didn't participate in it, but I, I am Native American and I can prove that that's, that's justifying what I'm saying right here is the discrimination because it's already been proven in the, your court system. Does that make sense? Yes. So it may not have affected me personally. I may not have benefited from these loans, but I'm aware of them. And but, so it's going to ask you um, if, if, if any of those things are related. And they're yes and no questions. Um, so if either it, it applies to you or it doesn't. If you didn't, if you weren't a part of that loan or that, I'm sorry, that um, lawsuit, um, then, it's, then it's a no and you move on. Is prior receipt of um, settlement money a disqualification for no. no no it's not disqualifying you um but i believe um they're they're asking you the amount that you did receive just uh for that information um because i think that might i'm not positive again i'm not in the deciding factor for this but i think that that might make a difference on the amount that you'll receive back got it i'm not positive got so it. The, there is that question in there i have seen a lot of them who um I believe it was the Keeps Eagle, and there was two different 
times they've received $50,000 and then they received another 18 or something. And so it comes out to the, the 60, 65, 68, and then minus how much, you know, so there's a certain number that they actually received. Okay. I don't know for sure. This is where the, the government, somebody higher above me is going to make that deciding factor of, of if that's adjusting their amount that they're getting. Right. Do you, do you know if <clears throat> awards, that's not the right word, but I can't think of what the right word is. Uh, if an applicant applies and they uh, receive money, whatever the proper term is there, do you know if that receipt of money is directly tied to a loss value? No. So no. from what I'm understanding, it um, this particular program is a case-by-case based. It is not a first come first serve. It is case by case. Um, it's, it is individual, but I also believe, again, this is all decision-making above me and somewhere else. Um, I've heard a couple different things where if you have however many people are applying for this program, then you have some of those that are, are potentially not legitimate. So they're going to find those ones and, and go through and get the um, approved applicants. So out of all of the people who apply, the approved applicants and the amount of the uh, the 2.2 billion gets divided. I know that the information, the more information that you give is, is helpful, but it's not a, oh, well, you lost $50,000. Here's $50,000. Right. Okay. A million dollars. Here's a million dollars. I don't believe that it works that way. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's the sort of general view I was trying to to get out of this. It doesn't seem like that would be possible, but it also doesn't seem like it, and I'm speculating here, it should be a 2.2 billion divided by 30,000 applicants equals X amount per applicant. There's got to be some nuance there. There, there. there <laughs> is some. But I don't have the answers to that because that's not right. that's kind of above my pay rate type of right. ex explanation. Right. I think that's where that individual comes into play, where they're going to be looking over these applications and um, making sure that they are valid and, and accurate and, and approved, and then they move on to the next step. Got it. But Look, like I said that deciding factor is not in my ballpark, unfortunately. No, 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 and that, and I'm not, I, you know, I'm not looking for you to to be able to have that level of detail. Yeah. Um, look, Melissa, as we as we wrap up, let me ask you one more thing. How do we, what happens to eight, nine, and 10? How do you go from a 10 step to a seven step? So that's that's the beauty of it. That seventh step is, um, it's kind of a yes or no, if you knew anything about a, a lawsuit or claim, yes or no. Step eight is what I like to say is like your pause and stop. Where uh -huh. if I have my application, um, the per my applicant with their paper copy and their little sticky notes, Step eight is, okay, let's go back and double check. Did I get all the information? Did I um, supply the supporting documents? Did I have my copy of my driver's license, everything else? That's supporting steps one through seven. Supporting and making sure that I've gathered all that information is step eight. Okay. Um, if there's additional information that wasn't specifically asked for in steps one through seven, you can enter it in step eight. Okay. Step nine is um, the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. Um, information. And so that's your W-9 that you'll need to um, fill out and sign uh, with your social. And then step 10 is your signatures, acknowledging that everything that you have given previously is um, current and accurate. And Got then you're it. signing your document. Got it. So yeah. That's where it's really, 
this huge 40 page unobtainable application to break it down to 10 steps to really it's seven. And actually, if you want to look at it, it's six, because the first one, hopefully, you know, your name and address and phone number. Right. And have that documentation <laughs> readily available. Right, right. So it just kind of breaks it. Once I break it down a little bit easier, um, there's smaller chunks. And yep. then it's, it's so much more attainable to go, okay, well, this specific question, okay, what is your farm experience? Oh, well, I can, that's no big deal. Let me, let me write it down for you. Okay, great. Let's go on to the next question. What is, you know, and it, it just makes it, it makes it much more attainable and feel um, doable. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of take this big, this big elephant and eat it one bite at a time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Melissa, I mean, really great insights. I mean, you've got some, some nuanced and perspective uh, on this that, uh, that I think will be really helpful as folks go through the application process. Uh, if people are in the Katy, Texas area, yes. uh, how can they reach out to you or your office specifically? And if they're not in Katy, where can they go for the kinds of help that you and your team can provide? All the information is going to be on 22007apply.gov. So that is the USDA website. On that website, you're going to find um, an application. You can fill out an online application. You're going to find your W-2. Um, it'll tell you what um, your eligibility is, what um, documents that you need to provide. Um, they can find a local office. So in there's the resources and um, find help near me. And then you scroll down to your state. It gives you the phone number, address, and information on there. The 800 number is 800 721-0970. That is their website phone number. And they can also help you get an, uh, an appointment with our office. So um, that will be, that's one phone number for every state. Um, and then they will find the local um, office to the local state that you're in, and they can help you schedule an appointment with us directly. Melissa's method for parsing through this type of application reminds me of the Desmond Tutu quote, there's only one way to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. I thought that the way that she broke down this process into 10, I mean, well, really seven uh, easy steps was, was a great approach to eating this elephant, so to speak. I also thought it was important that she described methods for accessing and completing the application without internet or, or word processor. Good old pen and paper, right? I think that uh, I think that the service uh, that Melissa and her organization are offering uh, is is super important for people who maybe feel like they don't have all of the requisite information available or the skills to fill out something like this. I think she did a great job of giving some examples of what others have done and what information they've used, uh, how to estimate loss. Please don't leave that section blank. And, and best practices for describing uh, discrimination. So if you're interested in applying, uh, go to 22007apply.gov. Uh, on the website, you'll find the application, information on how to fill out the W-2, what your eligibility requirements are, and how to find a local office. Um, there's a national telephone number, 1-800-721-0970. And then from there, to help you get connected to some local support. Good luck. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Vets and Ag podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think other military veterans and supporters would benefit from these insights and stories, please give us a review and share on social media. You can also find previous episodes and learn more about AGD Consulting by visiting our website. Finally, 
If you have any recommendations of future guests who are military veterans or supporters leading the way in agribusiness, ag tech, or agripreneurship, please send them our way. I'm your host, Mike Desa, and until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>